Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. Good morning, everyone. Let's open up our Bibles to uh, Exodus chapter 20. We'll be looking at verse 17 this morning, which uh, in one verse gives us both the ninth and tenth commandments. And this is what it says. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. I was uh, pretty interested to, uh, to see the uh, response that we got to the video last week, uh, the one that we showed on regrets. And quite a few people spoke to me this week, uh, emails, some face-to-face it seems that all of us struggle with the issue of regrets. And as I was thinking about that, it, it sort of influenced a little bit the title of today's message. Because I don't think it's just regret that we struggle with in life. Often we also struggle with another issue that begins with the same two letters, re, resentment. We live in a world, amazingly, where there is plenty for the first time in history we have stockpiles of things in this country most of us have stockpiles of things in our own pantries that would last us for a pretty long time it's quite a a stark difference from my life in africa where most of the people that that lived around me in the villages literally were living from hand to mouth day to day if there was a drought literally they were in trouble In just uh, a few weeks and in the midst of all this plenty there's the issue of resentment we look at what others have and we ask ourselves you know why can't I have that and then from there it starts to flow to really God why can't I have that? Why don't you give me that? And, and we begin more and more that desire for something begins to flow into a place which builds up anger and pain. So that's what we want to talk about. There's another word that almost seems as if it would have similar DNA because it sounds so much like resentment. But it's actually something that is far different from resentment. And it's where God would have us rest our hearts. It's the word contentment. And all those, those two words share seven letters. They are worlds apart, aren't they? Resentment and contentment. So this morning, as we talk about this ninth and tenth, uh, this, to these two commandments, the ninth and tenth, which both say, don't covet. Don't covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or his maidservant or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. We're going to really look at our hearts. Because more than anything, what God wants is your heart. He wants you to take your heart and hand it over to him fully. So one of the questions I got asked is, Pastor Jeff, why, why are you starting with the ninth and 10th? Why not, why not start right away with the, um, the first commandment. Isn't that the normal order? 
And I wanted to take just a, a detour for a moment here and explain why we're starting backwards. And it, it really has to do with this issue that God wants our heart. I think most of the time when we think of the commandments, we think of them in a sort of a linear fashion. That's the way we're trained to think in our world today. Everything is in lines. We have an outline, point one, point two, point three, sub point A, B, C. When we think of the commandments, often this is how we think of them. And we, we start with one and we work our way down in a, in a straight line until we get to 10. And look, when we do that, how far commandment one is from commandment 10. Look at the space there. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said we shouldn't think of the commandments in a line. We should think of them as a circle and a cycle. And that as we move through the commandments in a circle fashion, one, two, three, four, five, and so on, and now we put ten here and one is there, notice the distance isn't very far at all. And Luther says that's important because really what the first commandment is about is about your heart. Don't have any other gods before me. And Jesus explains that commandment. What does he say? He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength. And then Luther says, and what does the 10th commandment say? The 10th commandment says, don't give your heart away to anything else. Don't give your, your heart away to your neighbor's house. Don't give your heart away to your neighbor's wife or husband. To your neighbor's servants or workers. To your neighbor's ox. Maybe we would say to your, to your neighbor's pickup truck. Or to your neighbor's Toyota Celica or whatever you want that belongs to your neighbor. Don't give your heart away to anything that belongs to your neighbor. How important as we're studying the commandments to start with that thought. And that's where we're going to start today. We're going to begin by talking about the fact that God, more than anything else, wants your heart. Will you pull out your crosswalk notes? You know what coveting really is? Let's define it for a second. The essence of coveting is really lacking control of our heart and our eyes. And to compare it, I would just say, if you use the two words desire and covet, desire is to covet as flow is to flood. You understand what I mean by that? Desire is to covet as flow is to flood. Let me explain it a little bit. When a river is flowing beautifully within the banks and it's controlled, it can be an amazing thing. A thing of beauty. If you're talking about the Mississippi River, it's a, it's a place where a lot of productivity can happen. Amazing things happen when something is flowing nicely. In fact, Athletic coaches often talk about a state where mentally we're in the flow and our mind is focused on the game and nothing is distracting us and we're just in that moment where, man, every shot is falling because we're in the flow. But flow is different from flood, isn't it? 
What happens when the Mississippi River turns from a flow into a flood? And think about the amazing destructive power, the force. Some of you have relatives that live near the Mississippi River. Some of you have actually had relatives that their, their houses were flooded. We have a lot of people here whose origins are in the Midwest. Think about the destructive power of flood. And that's really what God is saying, is that when, when we begin to covet, that's desire breaking the banks. Desire in and of itself is not, nothing wrong or sinful, but covet is now you're out of control. You cannot control your heart, and it is flooding you with the desire for something that belongs to your neighbor. Here's how we might put it in today's words. Look at Exodus 20:17 as the message translates it. I like it. Instead of saying, don't covet, it really uses the word that I think talks about your desire flooding. No lusting after your neighbor's house or wife or servant or maid or ox or donkey. And then notice what it says. Don't set your heart on anything that belongs to your neighbor. What a great way to translate that. No lusting after. Don't set your heart. When God gave the commandments in the first place, it's kind of interesting that he gave this commandment. He was, he was leading the people of Israel out of Egypt, out of bondage and slavery in Egypt. And he was leading them into this land of plenty, a land flowing with milk and honey that he was going to give them. And between Egypt and this land flowing with milk and honey is the, is the Sinai Peninsula, which is this amazingly barren desert place. So picture yourself maybe a hundred years ago, and you're sitting here in Arizona at the foot of Piestawa Peak, right? Can you imagine yourself, and there's just desert around, and there's that big mountain. Out, actually, Mount Sinai is even bigger than that. But it's desert. It's barren. And now God is saying, don't covet, don't desire anything that belongs to your neighbor in this amazingly barren land where he has to daily supply them with the food, the manna, this odd food that its name actually means, what is it? And yet even in that barren environment, and maybe especially because it was a barren environment, God says... Don't let your desires for what belong to your neighbors overflow the banks. Keep them under control. Keep them contained. And as he talks to these people, it's just amazing to think that there was clouds of thunder and lightning. He gives them this law and he says, I want you to look in this every day. Remember what we said last week about the purpose of the law? It's a mirror, something that we're to use every day to look in and go, okay, how am I doing today? And, and, and when we look at this commandment, what do we see? Kind of interesting, I was um, reading the brand new issue of Reader's Digest. And uh, I won't read it for you, but in here is an article about, you know, all the people that have coveted stuff 
in our country today and how it has brought them down, the Bernie Madoffs of the world. And it's an article, and it goes through all these blurbs. And then in the end, it says, and the very last people that need to learn to watch their desires is you. We have a country of people that have learned not to keep their desires for stuff and their worship of stuff under control. Even Reader's Digest can recognize that about us and how we need to look in that mirror. The beauty of the law is it's not only the mirror that confronts us and convicts us of our sin, it's also that compass that, that after we become children of God, it says here's how to go to give glory to God and to thank Him. For an awesome life, the life that that he's given us. But that all begins in our hearts. Look at what it says in Deuteronomy 6.6. And by the way, it's in Deuteronomy 5 that we read that God gives the commandments. So this is right after God has given the commandments. And what does he say? These commandments that I give you today are to be where? On your hearts. When... um, When God was leading those people through the wilderness and and that, that land flowing with milk and honey was just a vision before their eyes. And I'm sure many of them were thinking, I cannot wait till we get to this this land that God has promised. The the children of Israel had been 400 years in Egypt. Most of them had never experienced living in Palestine in the promised land. And they, their mouths were watering to get to this place. But God had a worry. God said, when you get there, if your hearts are not in the right place, this land that is so flowing with milk and honey, I'm concerned that it's going to become a distraction to you. I'm going to put a verse up in just a moment about God's concern for the children of Israel while they're still in the desert, but looking forward to that land flowing with milk and honey. And I want you to think about this country today and your life living in a land flowing with milk and honey right now. Listen to what God says. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart, your heart will become proud. And you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Do you believe that your heart is the most important part of you, at least to God? It is. And God knows the danger when we let our hearts wander away from him into covetousness and uncontrolled desire for stuff. Look at what Paul writes to Timothy. For the love of money, he says, is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith, exactly the thing that God was worried about with the children of Israel. You're going to forget me. Your heart is going to wander off. Idolatry. Right next to the commandment 
that says, don't have any idols. Your heart's going to wander off and you're going to forget me. Psalm 119 says it more beautifully and more poetically than anyone can say it. And we'll wrap up part one with this, with this passage. This is a prayer. It's a prayer that we could all be saying. Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. And notice what it says in Proverbs 4.23. It says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Here's point one. God wants me to take the condition of my heart seriously. God wants me to take the condition of my heart seriously. I think I've told you before that when I was in high school and college, I worked a summer job for several years where I was doing um, landscaping work for the Madison Elementary School District in North Phoenix. Tough bunch of guys on that landscaping crew. And I remember one guy in particular, he'd look around at things and he had a phrase that he used over and over again. Look, but don't touch. Look, but don't touch. He felt that it was okay. I can look at anything. As long as I'm just looking, but not touching, everything's going to be okay. But you know what? When we look into the Bible, God urges us to be very, very cautious and careful about where we set our eyes. You know why? Because your eyes, God tells us, they are hardwired to your heart. What you look at is ultimately going to create a desire in your heart. You know that, right? I I can be not thinking about getting a new shirt or a new pair of shoes and just be hanging out with my wife. And she says, let's just go stroll the mall and do a little window shopping today, right? So I'm not even thinking about a shirt. But I go to the mall, and pretty soon, she's over there looking at her girly stuff, and I'm over here, you know, I don't want to hang out with her and the girl stuff. Oh, that's a cool shirt. You know, and then pretty soon, I'll just try it on. You know, I don't really want it, but I'll just... And then you're in the dressing room, and you're putting on the shirt, and it all starts with seeing it, looking at it with my eyes, right? And you've all been there. One of the things I love to do with my wife is I say to my wife, Honey, let's, um, let's just go look at cars today. She won't let me. She says, No, we're not going there. I know where your eyes are headed, right? And then where your heart will be headed later. Our eyes are attached to our hearts. So the second lesson that we have to learn is... God wants us to be in control of our eyes. Do you believe that you can control where your eyes settle? You can. You can decide where, whether your eyes settle on this place or that place. And it's so important for us to be in control. Jesus said this. He said, for where your treasure is, your treasure, there your heart will be also. And then he follows that up with the eye is the lamp of the body. Now, don't think of it this way. Some of us, when we hear that passage, we think, oh, it's kind of like headlights. 
you know, the light is going out that way. That's not what Jesus is saying. When he says the eye is the lamp of the body, he's saying what comes into your eyes is what gives light to your heart and to your mind. It's the reverse of what we would think. And notice what he says about this. The eye is the lamp of the body. What you see is coming into here. If your eyes are good, if they settle on the right places, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Do you know, here's, here's a fun little thing that you can do when you get home today. Go to a website named BibleGateway.com. And I want you to put in two words. Put in, there's a little search engine that'll come in. Put in the word heart, and then put in the word eyes. And I want you to watch how many verses come up that talk about heart and eyes together. I read a verse just a, a moment ago. Psalm 119, this is just one example. Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain, the psalmist writes. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Hebrew parallelism is the main sign of poetry. Hebrew poetry doesn't rhyme. The way we know it's poetry is it states a thought. And then it repeats the same thought in parallel fashion, but it uses slightly different words. Now, if you think about Hebrew parallelism in that verse, Psalm 119, which is poetry that I just read, that's how closely God connects your heart and your eyes. He's saying basically your heart and your eyes are the same thing. Let me read it again. Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes... Away from worthless things, preserve my life according to your word. When God gave these commandments in that wilderness in Sinai, he followed up with constant reminders to guard your heart and guard your eyes. So here's our second point. God, because he wants me to fill my heart with him, he wants me to be in control of my eyes. Max Lucado, this is a great illustration of this point. You may know him as an author. And in one of his books, he tells a story about a member of his church named Sarah. Sarah makes the most amazing peach preserves, all right? And every year she makes her peach preserves, and she gives Max Lucado one jar. And, and he, he loves this peach preserves. He says... A spoonful of this peach preserves, as only Max Lucado can say this, is like a spoonful of heaven, okay? But what always happens, right? Because he loves it so much. Eventually, the spoon is clinking at the bottom of the jar. And he says, "I, I empty those last few drops out of peach preserves like a cowboy empties the last few drops of water out of, the, out of his canteen when he's lost in the desert. He's like shaking it and spooning it and getting one of those little rubber spatulas and, and pulling out the last drop. And then he says, you know what my mind turned to? Keith. Keith is Sarah's husband. And he says, you know what? 
I wish I had what Keith has. It's his wife that makes the peach preserves. And I, I've, they're good friends. I've seen his pantry. He doesn't get one stinking jar of peach preserves. His whole pantry is full of peach preserves. And when, when his spoon begins to clink to the bottom, he's not shaking it out because he's thinking, I can have one or two or three more jars of peach preserves if I want. I got plenty. And Max Lucado is feeling a little envious, maybe we'd say even a little covetous of all those peach preserves. And it started with him seeing with his eyes that pantry full of peach preserves. Now all he has to do is use his mind's eye, right? Which we all do too. And he becomes covetous. Isn't it amazing about the things that you and I can covet? And we all do it. We can so relate to this. So God wants us to be in control of our eyes. Ellis Washington is currently a professor of law and political science at Savannah State University. Amazing gentleman. He's written a book called The Inseparability of Law and Morality. He talks about the Constitution, natural law, and the rule of law. And the reason I'm, I'm quoting him this morning is he says, look at our society today, and basically our, our whole society has got to watch its heart and its eyes. Our society surrounds us with covetousness. Listen to this quote. Before we can change external stimuli like our economy, our societal morality, before we can change Wall Street, before we can change the Supreme Court or Congress or our president or things like Social Security, Medicare or abortion, before we can change any of those things, Ellis Washington says, we've got to change our heart. And he says, since this is in the spiritual domain, that change cannot occur by any kind of media propaganda. It can't change by government apparatus, political sloganeering, positive thinking, or some other artificial means of man. This is a job for God. That's a university professor speaking. And that change of heart that Ellis Washington is talking about is the change of heart that God is originally talking about in these ninth and 10th commandments when he says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's manservant or his maidservant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Your heart has to change. And, and the change is going to end up by removing resentment from your heart and moving contentment in. But how do you do that? How, how do we give resentment the boot so that contentment can come in? Well, I can tell you that it really begins with our knowing the love of our God and how much he wants to care for us. And it begins with knowing that if we don't cling to that love of God shown to us in Jesus Christ, we are headed to a very bad place. 
I want to talk about that for just a moment, a quick moment. Do you know where resentment really leads if you leave it in your heart? The Bible tells us. The Bible tells us really clearly. It warns us about leaving resentment in our hearts because it leads to ruin and destruction. 1 Timothy 5, 1 Timothy 6, 8 and 9 says, But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Why? Why be content with just food and clothing? Because he says if we allow resentment into our heart, people who want to get rich because they want what everybody else has, are falling into a temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Just a few weeks back, we were in the series Chasing the Wind, studying the book of Ecclesiastes. Do you remember one of the verses that we looked at just a few weeks ago back then? Let me requote it for you. Ecclesiastes 4.8. It says the same thing. There was a man all alone. All alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling? He asked. Why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless. A miserable business is this where you want to go that where you want your life to head do you want to look back on your life one day and say my life was nothing more than a miserable miserable business i allowed myself to fall into temptation and a trap my life ended up in ruin and destruction that's where it leads when our hearts are filled with resentment. We need to recognize that. We need to look at that in the mirror head on. But it doesn't have to be that way. Paul writes this in 1 Timothy 6.6. Listen to this. But godliness with contentment is great gain. There's another way, another path. One that leads away from ruin and destruction to great gain. And it's to allow contentment to flow into our hearts. I want to read you a story about a young lady, a young teenage lady. And it was strangely, maybe not so strangely, I don't believe in coincidences. This is an email that was written to me this week. Dear Jeff, I have a story I want to share with you about my 13-year-old granddaughter and what her generous spirit started. For the sake of anonymity, at her request, I'm going to call her Carrie. My son and his wife were visiting over at our house. I noticed my son was very discouraged, so I asked him what was on his mind. Without complaint or anger, he stated how, how he wondered if he would ever get back on his feet. He's going through what many of us are going through in this economy, but a little bit more. He wants to be able to start over, completely over. Some of the choices he made in the past have consequences that involved fines he's been unable to pay because he lost his job. Made some bad decisions, but he wanted to pay those fines off. He talked a while, never realizing that his niece, Carrie, was hearing this conversation. Before he left, he made the comment that if the police pulled him over, he'd have to go to jail because of unpaid fines. And that, of course, would involve more fines 
and an even less likelihood of him finding a job. It was then time for me to take my niece Carrie to the airport. She had to go back home. It was very thoughtful and quiet as we rode together in the car, and I asked her if she was okay. She looked out her window and told me that she and her cousin had been planning to save money over the next few years so they could take a vacation together. But now she knew she couldn't go on that vacation. And she went on to say, it just wasn't right to take a vacation when you have family that needs your help. She picked up her cell phone and called her mom on the phone and told her they also couldn't go to Disneyland this summer. When her mom asked in surprise why, Carrie explained that she was feeling about the money spent for the, what she was feeling about the money spent for the Disneyland trip. Her mom said, well, honey, I think we better talk to dad before we make that decision and stop this vacation. Carrie answered and said, why don't you just go on without me and give the money that you would have used on me to my uncle. So now... Back to the author of the email, she says, I was about to drive off the road. Give up Disneyland, a 13-year-old girl? Give up Disneyland? Really? My mouth was hanging open, and I was staring at Carrie, and she went one step further. She turned to me and asked if I could think of some way to get the money to her uncle without him knowing it was from her. She said she didn't want him thanking her or even knowing it was her that helped pay for his fines, but that he would only see it as a gift from God. It isn't a good idea to cry while you're driving, but I couldn't help it. Here was my 13-year-old granddaughter who totally got it, her heart filled with a love that wanted to give at a cost to herself and, and then not get any credit or thanks for it. I put her on the plane and went home thinking about this wonderful example of Carrie's selfless giving. My daughter said when Carrie got home, she asked for a jar. She put her uncle's name on, and underneath it, she wrote, It's not our money anyway. It belongs to God. Within 24 hours, the story had spread throughout our entire family, and anonymously, the fines were totally paid off. As I write this, Carrie has earned another $100, She continues to think of ways to still help her uncle, my son. And now she's working on earning money to get a car for him because the one he's driving is literally dying. She means, she says, I mean serious duct tape, no struts, transmissions going, I'd say that's dying. An overheating radiator and 200,000 miles on a 92 Mazda. What do you do or say when you witness a faith like that in a child? What you say is, that's a 13-year-old that has learned contentment. Contentment without vacations. Contentment without Disneyland. Contentment because she knows God and she knows her Savior, Jesus. She knows what Paul knew, sitting in a prison cell, writing the words, I've learned the secret of being content whatever the circumstances. Have you and I learned that secret? The secret of being content, whatever the circumstances? There's a secret to the secret. How is it that Paul, sitting in a jail cell, or little Carrie giving up Disneyland, how is it that their heart could be filled with contentment? Well, let's look at what Paul writes. 
in Philippians chapter 4. Here's what he says. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. You feel you need something, go to God. He's there for you. And he says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 12 says, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. That's the secret to being content all the time. It's knowing whatever comes, I can ask God for help. It's knowing that I can do everything, everything through him. He's with you. As he was with Paul in a jail cell, as he was with little Carrie, saying, let's get this, let's get this done and watch how God works. And if he can do that for a 13-year-old girl who just says, I've got God. And everything in this world is his. If he can do it for her, if he can do it for Paul, he will do it for you. And that's our third point. God wants you to have the peace that only God can give when we look to him for all things. And with that, that peace comes from just having a contented heart. One more final step. Who is this God that you're looking to? What kind of God is he? Because so many times, especially when we're looking at God's law, it's easy to go, yeah, I know God's eye is on me. And we feel threatened. We feel worse sometimes thinking God's eye is on me. But it's so interesting to look at the passages in the Bible that talk about God's eye being on you. And there is literally a flood of passages that when it says God's eye is on you, don't think that he's like dangling a sword over your head. When it says God's eye is on you, it's like the father with the little toddler baby and she's taking her first steps, you know. And you're, you're worried as the dad, is she going to make it? And you're right there and your eye is right on her. You don't want to bump her little noggin on the corner of the, the table. That's how God's eye is on you. And we've been talking this whole message about how God wants our eyes on him, our heart given over to him. But the real secret of contentment comes back to, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, of knowing that God's eye is on me. And why is God's eye on me? Because God's merciful, loving, forgiving, kind, gracious heart is on me and on you. We can't talk about God and about hearts and eyes without knowing this. And don't go out the door today. Please don't go out the door today without knowing that God's heart and God's eyes are on you every step of the way in love. And that's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, for you. 
That's why Paul could be content in any and all circumstances because he was serving the Savior who gave his life for him, who died on the cross to win forgiveness, who lived a life that built up every righteous thing that Paul needed, that you and I, that we need to stand before God one day and say, God, God, let me in to heaven, to eternal life. And God says, you're already in. My son Jesus died for you and he's been here preparing a place for you. And all along, don't you know? All along, every step of your life, my heart and my eyes have been on you. You are my dear child. Look at what the psalmist writes. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. Unfailing love for you. Never goes away. And even further, he wants us to know that where his heart is, his eye is, and what follows his eye? His ear. Look at what the psalmist says. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. Just like Paul said, when I'm worried, when I'm anxious, turn to the Lord and pray and know you have a God whose ears are attentive to your prayer, to your cry. He's listening. He's a loving heavenly father. God wants you to know, this is point four, where his heart, his eyes, and his ears are. They are on you. His heart, his eyes are on me, and his ear is mine. Know that. So what do you think? It's not that tough of a choice, is it? Resentment that leads to ruin and destruction and miserable business? If you're feeling resentment today about anything, look in the mirror of God's law. The mirror that says, don't lust after something that belongs to your neighbor. It's only going to lead to ruin and destruction. And if you know God's forgiveness today, if you know that his heart eyes and ears are on you and that your sins are fully forgiven in Jesus Christ and that heaven is yours. If you know that, pick up that compass that God's law is to you and let your life be guided and start to redirect your eyes. Get in control of your eyes because when you get in control of your eyes, you'll get in control of your heart with the help of God and his strength. Here's a verse I want to close this message on. Here's really what God is saying to us when he says, you shall not covet. He says, my son, Proverbs 23, 26, give me your heart and let your eyes keep to my ways. Let's pray and then we'll look at the next steps in the crosswalk. Father in heaven, you are an amazing God that you sent your son Jesus to win our forgiveness and to win righteousness for us as our perfect substitute.
Lord God, Heavenly Father, help us to keep our hearts and our eyes and our ears completely focused on him, on his cross and resurrection at all times in our life. And give us, with our eyes there, give us the contentment that only you can give. Lord, we confess to you that often our hearts are filled with resentment, despite the fact that we live today in the land of plenty. And, and, and we today also worry about our own selves and about our friends, that because there's so much around us, that our hearts could, could forget you. And Lord, I ask that you bless every heart in this room with a strong faith. Send your spirit through your word into our hearts so that we will never forget you and that our eyes will always dwell on you. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the amazing blessings that you've already given us. And help us to be content with the plenty that we already have. We ask all these things, Lord, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Last week, many people were asking, where do I find those Ten Commandments? You're telling us to memorize them. Well, I put this in your next steps. This week, go home. And you already got a partial assignment. Your partial assignment is get on Bible Gateway. I didn't put that one down. But also locate and study the commandments in both places where they're found in the Bible. It's our goal at Crosswalk that at the end of this series, if a person on the street, if, well, there is no Jay Leno jaywalk anymore. Ah. But imagine you're back then. If Jay Leno would come up to you on the street and ask you, can you recite the Ten Commandments? Boom. There they are. And not because you need them for Jay Leno, but because they make an amazing mirror and compass for your life today from God. So locate those and study them. Then trust God this week to give you the strength that you need to control your heart and your eyes. He's an amazing God who has his heart and eyes on you. Let him lead your heart and your eyes to focus on him and his saving acts. And then meditate on and memorize the ninth and 10th commandments. Exodus 20, verse 17. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.